This is The Churches the World, Chapter 1, Episode 4, the New Revised Standard Version. Remember that before I begin in the beginning, in Genesis, I am tracing the history of the translations of the Bible that I will be referring to throughout the podcast. As you will recall from the last two weeks, we covered the translation, publication, and revision of the King James Version of the Bible. This week, we will do the same for the New Revised Standard Version. If I were proceeding in the order of publication, this week would be devoted to the New International Version, as it was first published in its complete form in 1978, but it was essentially a completely new Bible. The New Revised Standard Version, which was published in 1989, can trace much of its lineage directly to the King James Version. So I will devote this week's episode to that particular version. And, similar to the King James Version, there was so much interesting information that this subject is split between two episodes, and this is the first of the two. As far as lineage goes, the King James Version begat the English Revised Version in 1894. The English Revised Version begat the American Standard Version in 1901. The American Standard Version begat the Revised Standard Version in 1952. And the Revised Standard Version begat the New Revised Standard Version in 1989. The overall point being that the New Revised Standard Version can trace its origins directly to the King James Version. So, accordingly, I'll begin with the English Revised Version. The English Revised Version, or as it's known east of the Atlantic, the Revised Version, was produced in the 19th century in Great Britain, with its foundational text being the King James Version of 1611. The New Testament was published in 1881, the Old Testament in 1885, and the Apocrypha in 1894. The New Testament Revision Company was commissioned in 1870 by the Convocation of Canterbury to update the Bible. Their overriding goal was first, and I quote, to adapt King James's version to the present state of the English language without changing the idiom and vocabulary. A second goal was to, quote, adapt it to the present standard of biblical scholarship. To meet that second stated goal, the Greek text utilized to translate the New Testament was thought by many to be more reliable than the Textus Receptus used for the original King James Version. The King James translator's Greek text was based on manuscripts dating from later parts of the medieval ages, while the English Revised Version used more ancient manuscripts, discovered after the publication of the King James Version, and it also relied on many documents from the early founders of the religion of the Church. The base-level texts used were compiled by Edwin Palmer. As such, it is considered by many scholars as being more accurate than the King James Version in a number of verses. The decision to revise originated from the General Assembly of Episcopal Clergymen at Canterbury, England on May 6, 1870. At that time, a committee was appointed consisting of both respected biblical scholars and notable officials of the Church of England with orders and I quote again, to revise for public use the authorized English versions of 1611 and to associate with them representative biblical scholars of other Christian denominations using that version. The English committee was divided into two companies, with the natural work division being divided between the Old and New Testaments. Each company held its regular meetings at Westminster in London. In 1871, the British committee invited an American committee to join the effort. That same year, 30 scholars were selected by Philip Schaff, 
who was a professor at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. He held the first chair of Theological Encyclopedia in Christian Symbolism. He chose scholars from Baptist, Congregationalist, Dutch Reformed, Friends, Methodist, Episcopal, Presbyterian, Protestant Episcopal, and Unitarian denominations. This committee, the American Committee, began active work in October 1872. It was also divided into two companies. These companies met monthly in the Bible House, a building owned by the American Bible Society in New York City. Most of the work occurred in the committee members' private homes, but the monthly meetings allowed them to ensure the accuracy of the translation. One of the rules established by the British was that any suggestion by the American committee would be included in the revision only if two-thirds of the British team agreed. I guess in establishing this rule, they were still stinging from the revolt of about a hundred years before. The rule was supported by an agreement that if the American suggestions were put into the appendix of the English Revised Version when it was published, the American team would not publish their own version for 14 years. When complete, the appendix included approximately 300 such suggestions. Between the two committees, 101 scholars toiled. Of these, 67 were in Britain and 34 were in the U.S. During the course of the work, and similar to what happened with the King James Version, 15 members of the English Committee and 7 of the American Committee resigned or died. Among the members of both were many of the most highly regarded biblical scholars of leading Protestant denominations of Great Britain and the United States. The American members were almost all professors of Hebrew or of Greek in well-known theological universities. They were selected based on their perceived competency and reputation for biblical scholarship, their Christian denomination, and their access to New York City. The last point being necessary because in the age before air travel, travel to New York could be quite difficult. The British and American committees corresponded regularly and therefore were able to produce a single revision that could be utilized in both countries. The revisers were instructed to change the King James Version only if it was deemed necessary to be more true to the original Greek and Hebrew text. Following these instructions, their New Testament had more than 30,000 changes, with over 5,000 on the basis of older Greek manuscripts used in the process. The revisers' committees introduced other enhancements in the version. Specifically, the text was arranged into paragraphs, the Old Testament poetry was printed in indented poetic lines instead of prose, as it had been in prior versions, and they also included margin notes about variations in the wording of ancient manuscripts. Also, in its Apocrypha, the English Revised Version became the first version in English to offer the complete text of 2nd Esdras. This was because prior versions relied on a 9th century manuscript that had been damaged by fire, causing 70 verses to be omitted from previous versions, including the King James. In the end, the New Testament was published in 1881, the Old Testament in 1885, and the Apocrypha in 1895. At the time of its publication, the English Revised Version was the first post-King James Version English Bible to gain popular acceptance. This version led directly to the American Standard Version, officially known as the Revised Version Standard American Edition of the Bible. The American Standard Version began with the work on the English Revised Version. As the English Revised Version was being published, the British team disbanded. 
At the same time, unauthorized editions of the English Revised Version that incorporated the suggestions of the American Committee in the main text began to appear. And to think that this was even possible in the era before the internet. Actually, this was possible because the English Revised Version in Great Britain was subject to what is called a Crown Copyright, since it was a product of the University Presses of Oxford and Cambridge. But surprisingly, in the US, the text was not copyrighted at all. In an effort to thwart the 14-year clause, and in reaction to the bootleg copies, in 1898, 13 years after the English Revised Version Old Testament was published, Oxford and Cambridge Universities published their own editions of a modified English Revised Version with the American suggestions included, proving that there is nothing like a good fight among academics. But the incorporated revisions did not include all suggestions, and merely included those listed in prior versions' appendices. To add insult to injury, many of those Americanized copies printed by Oxford and Cambridge Universities were titled American Revised Version. In 1901, after the 14-year agreement between the American and British teams expired, the standard American version was published. The key purpose in publication was to include most of the suggestions from the American translation of the English Revised Version. In their publication, the British team had used very few of the American team's suggestions, even in their later version. While many of the suggestions of the American scholars stem from the distinctions between the American and British usage of the English language, other suggestions were centered on differences in biblical scholarship and on different translations from the root text offered by the Americans. And, making the whole issue even more confusing, some of the editions of the American Standard Version included the Apocrypha of the English Revised Version. Go figure. Learning from the mistake of the British presses, the work was copyrighted in the U.S. by the printer Thomas Nelson & Sons. By 1928, some U.S. publishers were altering the text, and, in reaction, the International Council of Religious Education, who later merged with the Federal Council of Churches to form the National Council of Churches, you got all that? acquired the copyright from Nelson. It was renewed in 1929. When the copyright expired in 1957, which was also the same time that the other newer translations came to market, the interest in the translation had largely diminished, and therefore the textual distortion never became an issue with the American Standard Version that it had become with the Revised Version. Owing that much of the language of the American Standard Version was intentionally limited to Elizabethan English, as well as some critics perceived as disproportionate literalism, the version never achieved wide acceptance, with the King James Version remaining the utilized translation for most American Protestant churches. One note, in the American Standard Version, the divine name of the Almighty is consistently rendered Jehovah in 6,823 places of the Old Testament, rather than as the word Lord, as it appeared in the King James Bible. The committee explained in the preface the reason for the change, specifically that they, and I quote, were brought to the unanimous conviction that a Jewish superstition which regarded the divine name as too sacred to be uttered ought no longer to dominate in the English or any other version of the Old Testament, end quote. Other changes from the revised version to the American Standard Version included substituting the word who and the word that for which when referring to people, and that's which without a T. And also, the name Holy Ghost was dropped in favor of Holy Spirit. The American Standard Version led to five other revisions. Specifically, 
They were the Revised Standard Version, published in 1971, the Amplified Bible, published in 1965, the New American Standard Bible, published in 1995, the Recovery Version in 1999, and the New Revised Standard Version, published in 1989, and also the primary biblical source for this podcast. A sixth revision, the World English Bible, was published in 2000 and was placed in the public domain on the internet. The American Standard Version was also the foundation for Taylor's Bible paraphrase, The Living Bible, published in 1971. As mentioned, the American Standard Version led to the Revised Standard Version. Between 1881 and 1901, when the English Revised and the American Standard Versions were being published, there was a lack of agreement on an acceptable English translation. In 1928, the International Council of Religious Education acquired the copyright to the American Standard Version. Between 1930 and 1932, they studied the version's text to decide if a new version was warranted. Partly due to the Great Depression, it was not until 1937 that the Council decided that a revision was indeed necessary. Ultimately, the decision was reached that a thorough revision of the American Standard Version of 1901 was necessary, and it needed to adhere to both the Tyndale and the King James translations as best it could, but it also needed to represent the present knowledge of the Hebrew and Greek text and their meaning concurrently with the present understanding of the English language. The Revised Standard Version was intended to be both a readable and a literally accurate modern English translation. The translators intended to create a clearer version of the Bible for the English-speaking church. They also had hoped to set up a parallel translation committee in Great Britain, as had been the case with the Revised Version, but this plan was cancelled due to World War II. The translation committee consisted of 32 members, while there was also an advisory board of 50 representatives of the cooperating denominations who were to provide review and counsel. The committee divided into two sections, the first concentrating on the Old Testament and the second on the New Testament. As each section finished, it submitted its work to the scrutiny of the members of the other section. Then, all changes had to be agreed upon by a two-thirds vote of the total membership of the committee. The work of the committee took about 10 years. Each committee had to deal differently with the problem of establishing the correct original text to translate from. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew and Aramaic text from only late manuscripts survived, all based on a standardized form of the text established many centuries after the books were written. The only exception was that of the Dead Sea text of Isaiah and Habakkuk and some fragments of other books. For the New Testament, there were a large number of Greek manuscripts preserving many variant forms of the text. Some of these were made only two or three hundred years later than the original writing of the books. Overall, the revision was based on the Hebrew and Aramaic text as written early in the Christian era and revised by Jewish scholars known as the Masoretes of the 6th to 9th centuries. Departures from the original text of the most suited manuscripts were made only when it seemed clear that copying errors had been made before the text was standardized. Most of the corrections approved were based on the oldest versions, such as the translations into Greek, Aramaic, Syriac, and Latin, which were made before the time of the Masoretic revision. Therefore, they reflect earlier forms of the text. To aid in clarity, footnotes were used to specify the version from which the correction was derived. 
there were times when it was clear that the original text was incorrect and none of the versions provided a satisfactory interpretation. In such cases, the translators relied on the judgment of scholars as to the most plausible restoration of the original text. As before, footnotes were used to identify such passages. There were also times when the Revised Standard Translation was found to portray a Hebrew word in a different meaning from that of the traditional interpretation. In those cases, there was no footnote attached because there was no change in the original text and the new meaning was not adopted without compelling evidence. This was sometimes possible because the analysis of religious text from the ancient Near East defined better the importance of the ideas and practices chronicled in the Old Testament. Also, the King James Version of the New Testament was translated from a Greek text that was later determined to have been fraught with errors, essentially containing the accumulated transcription mistakes from 14 centuries of manuscript copying by hand. Overall, it was based on the Greek text of the New Testament edited by Beza in 1589. Beza closely followed the Greek text, published by Aramis between 1516 and 1535, who in turn based his version on a few medieval manuscripts. The earliest and what modern scholars consider to be the best of the eight manuscripts Aramis consulted dated from the 10th century, but he made little use of it because it differed greatly from what was commonly used at the time of his translation. Similarly, Biza had two manuscripts, modernly considered of great value, dating from the 5th and 6th centuries, but he used them very little because they differed from the texts published by Erasmus. Many of the differences between the Revised Standard Version and the King James Version of the New Testament are due to these two issues. When the revision was made, there were many more ancient manuscripts of the New Testament, and the translators were better able to determine the original wording of the Greek text. Overall, it must be remembered that the evidence for the text of the books of the New Testament is still better than for any other ancient book, both in the number of existing manuscripts and in the closeness of the date that some of these manuscripts to when the book was first written. The revisers in the late 19th century relied on the same Greek texts that are used today, except for a few ancient Greek texts discovered in 1931. However, while they had the same base text, their understanding of the ancient Greek language was less than what was available to the translators of the Revised Standard Version. Specifically, they lacked the later understanding of the vocabulary, grammar, and idioms of the Greek New Testament. For example, a remarkable body of Greek manuscripts have been discovered in Egypt since the late 1800s, including private letters, official reports, wills, business accounts, petitions, and other such trivial everyday recordings of the activities of human beings. Now these things really add nothing to the understanding of the biblical text because there was no biblical text in them. But what they do add is an invaluable understanding of the language of the times. First published in 1895 by Adolf Diesmann was a clearer understanding of many of the words found in these biblical texts, which until then were misunderstood. Specifically, they have provided an understanding of the common Greek that would have been used to write the text in the first century. To dive a little deeper, the text used for the New Testament was written in what is referred to as Kone, which was a common Greek spoken and understood practically everywhere throughout the Roman Empire in the early centuries of the Christian era. This development in the study of New Testament Greek occurred after the translations of the English Revised Version and the American Standard Version, 
and throughout, the text allowed for a better translation into modern English. The language, not the band. Going back an episode, you may recall that I talked about if Shakespeare had an influence on the writing of Psalm 46. And at the end of Psalm 46 is the word Selah. Remembering then, I told you that modern scholars really don't know what the word means. Well, before the discovery of these Greek texts in Egypt, there were many other words scholars did not know the true meaning of. From these texts, even though they were not biblical at all, scholars were able to better determine the meaning of words such as Shelah. It was those determinations that allowed for better translations of ancient text from that point forward. An additional overriding motive for the revision of the King James Version, which is true for both the Old and New Testaments, is the change since 1611 in the English language usage. Many words have become archaic, and while still understood, do not present the text as easily understandable to the reader. The translators eliminated archaic forms of expression in English which may not be clearly understood by contemporary people. The use of such words as thou, thee, thy, and thine, and the verb endings est, edst, eth, and th made the King James Version difficult for most people to understand. Specifically, more than 300 words in the King James Version are misleading in light of today's language usage. A larger problem was that some English words are still in use, but their meanings have changed. While at the time they were accurate in translation, they now change the meaning of the scripture. Examples of such phrases and words that have changed meaning are let, in the sense of hinder, the word prevent to mean proceed, conversation, which at the time meant conduct, comprehend, which for some reason at the time meant overcome, the previously mentioned ghost for spirit, at the time wealth could mean well-being, and believe it or not, allege could mean prove, and take no thought could mean be not anxious. And of course, there were many more examples. And a clear example arises in a word that we use commonly today whose meaning has changed completely. The word is decimate, and while this word is found only in the Bible in the New International Version in one passage, it does more clearly demonstrate the morphing of language over time. So right now, I want you to think of the word decimate. I'll pause for a second so you can conjure up the image of something that has been completely and utterly destroyed. Its original meaning was to reduce something by 10%. When you look closely, you see the root D-E-C, the same root as the word decimal, decibel, decade, and December, not to mention numerous other words that refer to a factor of 10. It's not quite the same when you think of it that way. And no, I did not make a mistake in saying December. It was originally the 10th month, but we'll get to that later. Just think, if you were to read an old text that stated that the English army was decimated at Waterloo, using your modern understanding of the word, you would have thought they had lost. But the writer may have been trying to communicate something entirely different. The translators of the Revised Standard Version sought to correct such potential modern errors. Like I mentioned in the introduction, I'm striving to limit episodes to 25 to 30 minutes. In keeping with that, I'm going to cut off this episode at this point and pick it up next week and finish up the Revised Standard Version, then the New Revised Standard Version. And I do recognize that I've been throwing a lot of facts at you and it's probably been very hard to follow. That experience is not lost on me. 
So what I'm going to do is, we'll finish up the new revised standard version next week, and the week after that we'll do the new international version. The following week, I'm going to tie all of these versions together and present a little analogy as to why I'm using three versions for this podcast instead of just one. So bear with me just a bit. And remember, I'm trying to make this both interesting and informative. Sometimes it will be one or the other, but hopefully most times it will be both. As I've mentioned before, you can find out more about the podcast at thechurchestheworld.com. Comments and questions can be emailed to comments at thechurchestheworld.com, and you can find the Facebook page by searching the term The Churches The World as four separate words. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.